0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of the We Are podcast in the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. I'm your host Jared Program alongside Corey Geiger. As always, Corey, it's been a wild off season for Penn State, and it's we're not even a month into the off season just yet.
1: Yeah, Jared. Uh, you know, by, by the way, happy holidays to everybody. Um, as you're listening to this, we got Christmas coming up next weekend, so. Uh, there's a lot that's gone on for Penn State over the last few weeks, uh, so we're going to kind of get into some of that and just determine is the program better right now than it was at the end of the regular season? Because you know, at, at this stage, I'm a I'm kind of a believer, Jared. And we'll talk about this later on. I don't really believe in bowl season being all that important anymore. Uh, I I think that. You know, ultimately these games are meaningless and we're seeing more and more players skip them. So are we really going to find out a whole heck of a lot about Penn State in the Outback Bowl against Arkansas? Um, maybe, but I, I don't necessarily think so. So this offseason is going to have to be spent really analyzing everything that they did. Find, you know, the changes that were made, finding ways to get better so that they don't repeat this, this kind of stuff next year
0: yeah and that's and it's, it's kind of tough to quantify how good or bad a team can be in the off season but you have early signing day you've had to, uh, a plethora of coaching changes uh you have some roster turnover now you know it, it's been really interesting to see and, and the bull season in my opinion um is is important for development it gives them an extra month of preparation but now with with Manny Diaz taking over uh, the defense, it gives him a month to evaluate and analyze his team, how they practice, what their practice habits are, and how they can build on that and grow on that moving forward. It also gives James Franklin a chance to see what Anthony Poindexter can do as a defensive coordinator calling the, calling the shots um, against Arkansas in the Outback Bowl, which is supposed to be the case. That's going to allow him to see, hey, maybe Poindexter can be a guy that could fill this position somewhere down the road. But you know, for me, bowl season is essentially your, your extra prep. You you get that extra lead up going into the offseason. It's the reward. You get to go to Tampa, Florida. This year you get to play in the Outback Bowl, Bloom and Onions, whatever. You get another quality opponent from the SEC in Arkansas. But for me, it gets you that extra, that extra prep. And I think that is ultimately uh, some of the some of the more important things to do. Uh, the Penn State is needed.
1: Yeah, I would say it's the most important thing. Uh, Let me clarify, because you do bring up a good point. Bowl season is important. The bowl game is not. I don't believe the game itself means jack crap. Whether they win by 30 or lose by 30, I don't think the game itself changes a whole heck of a lot about, about about a team the way it always has. Because there's just so many things to question. Does the other team want to be there? Do your players want to be there? If Penn State wins by 30, sure, they'll say, oh, this is a springboard into next year. If they lose by 20, they'll say, ah, this doesn't really matter. It's all about going to be perspective. But your point about the bowl prep is absolutely spot on. This is practice for everybody. It's more time to develop for, say, a Christian Veyu, who I think will probably be the backup next year. Although Drew Alar comes in in January and along with Bo Prabula, and, and you think maybe there'll be some competition for that backup spot next year, but uh, this is a few extra weeks for Christian Bayou to get some experience. This is a chance for maybe Noah Kane to, to, to be healthy. Kavon Lee was the better running back this year. This is a chance for, you know, some of the defensive players on the younger side to get some experience. But what, what, one thing I do want to get in, in, into here, Jared, when we talk about where is this program right now compared to after Michigan State is the turnover. You lose a Brent Pry, you bring in a Manny Diaz. No other coaching turnover, which to me is pretty surprising. I, before we get into Manny Diaz and Brent Pry, that guy, kind of, are, are you surprised that nobody else was let go, or could that still happen after a bowl game, which would be odd timing? Because and I'm, I'm talking specifically about. Phil Troutwine, because we all know the offensive line was an issue.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough to say because there's so many moving parts. We don't know what it's like inside the coaching room. We don't know what it's like, whether it's player technique that's taught or whether it's just the fact that those guys aren't good enough to go out there every day and play. Uh, remember, most of these guys are not Troutwine's guys uh, who, that he did that he recruited. So, I mean – You know that's not going to be seen here for another year or two. Um, When those guys get on the field, we're still seeing what Matt uh, what Matt brought in. Now, of course, James Franklin and and um, Ricky Ronnie had their hands in this offense as well. But you know, it's hard to say right now because last year is a toss up. I think you kind of we talked about that springboard. Well, they dominated Memphis in the Cotton Bowl and then went zero and five to start the season last year. So sometimes that really just doesn't matter. But, you know, going back to last year, Trout Wine wasn't able to coach those guys up until about halfway through the year, the way that he probably should have. And, you know, were they more serviceable last year? Absolutely. This year, not so much. So, I mean, is it a reflection of him? Is it a reflection of the coaches? I mean, or of the players, I should say? Uh, is it this, the new offensive scheme? It, it's just, There are just a lot of moving pieces. I think they will at least give it another year and see how it goes. Now, if there's no improvement after next year, then by all means cut ties, and let's see what we got. But Yeah, I asked
1: Mike Yersich on Friday. Friday was Bowl Media Day. Uh, we got a chance to speak with James Franklin, the coordinators, a number of players. Bowl, Bowl Media Day is always pretty cool because just to kind of give people some insight here into the way things work for a college football program, we don't get to talk to a lot of these people – very many times a year we get james franklin every week a couple times actually three times really tuesdays wednesdays saturday you get the coordinators about three times a year you get them during blue white week you get them during the preseason well four times you get one on a on a random thursday during the regular season and then you get them for bowl week we get to talk to these coordinators basically four times a year so it's hard to get to know these folks and and when and when we do get to talk with them they're bombarded with a lot of questions about a lot of different things and uh i asked mike yersage point blank can your offense work in the big 10 because to me i have serious concerns about that i don't think that his offense as it has been constructed jared is going to be all that great in the big 10 but he is a smart guy he's done this for a long time he's had success He's going to have to figure out the one or two or three big tweaks to make this Big 12 caliber offense an effective offense in the Big Ten. He said point blank, I absolutely believe it can work in the Big Ten. He said, we're going to get this thing figured out or die trying. I always find it funny when these folks go to that die trying uh, component. I mean, we're talking sports here, for God's sake. So, uh, but to me, the absolute number one issue this offseason, They've got to figure out what they're doing on offense, find a way to run the ball. Because I do think Sean Clifford can be better than he showed the last two years. If they have everything in place, offensive line running back and everything, but they're losing Jahan Dotson. The offensive line is going to be the biggest question mark on the team next year. I think we go into next year, Jared, with major, major questions about this offense.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, obviously you're, you need a, a new number one receiver with Jahan Dotson not being around. Can Parker Washington handle that load? Can Keandre Lambert-Smith handle that load? Would, would they feature their tight ends more? And I think they should, you know, with Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson. I think those are, are, are two really good tight ends. But it ultimately starts up front. We talk about it all the time on both sides of football. They need to establish the run game. They need to establish that power running game, just, just to have it, you know, you don't have to use it all the time, but just the threat of it is important too, because then you can have play action. Then you can have a couple different things. The RPOs is, is still there, but when you're not a threat to run on the ground, it's a dangerous situation and, and you're going to make Sean Clifford beat you. And, and he did beat a couple teams this year. You know, it, it's nice when you have a guy like John Dotson that goes out and can catch any ball that's within five feet of him. Uh if not more. So, I mean, that's not going to be an option for the Nittany Lions next year. And I, I'm, a, I'm very interested to see how they replace Sean – or not Sean Clifford, but how they replace Sean Dotson um, and, and who's going to step up in his absence.
1: Yeah, and Parker Washington will have that opportunity. Could there be – look, it's hard, it's hard to talk about things that you're going to do during the offseason anymore without considering the transfer portal. Could there be some receiver out there? In the portal, you know, are we? Is it certain that Parker Washington will be the number one guy? The portal is just such an unknown; you just never know how things are going to be approached going forward. But clearly, the offense is going to be an issue, and then the defense. Let's let's talk about Manny Diaz here to end this first segment, Jared. uh, We we talked with him Friday. Uh, He had a press conference. He is a very, very well spoken, articulate honest, candid kind of guy. I mean, um, they talk about winning the press conference. That That's always a big thing when a, a new coach comes in. And typically you're talking about a head coach, but Miami, M- Manny Diaz had been a head coach in Miami and he comes in and he gives a lot of really good, thoughtful, candid answers. Uh, he won the press conference without question. Now me personally, I, I don't really put a, a hell of a lot of stock in some of that because you can win the press conference and be a terrible coach. You can be an awesome coach, but not very well-spoken at the press conference. So we're going to need to see Manny Diaz prove this on the field with Penn State next year. But in terms of getting probably the biggest name, uh, about maybe one of the best candidates that they could have gotten, because James Franklin said, Jared, there were a number of schools looking, you know, looking for a defensive coordinator, and they all kind of end up talking to the same guys. So there was a lot of competition probably for Manny Diaz and some of these other guys. And the fact that he came to Penn state uh, is big, but they're, they're losing the best coach they had. They're losing the best coach they had in Brent Pry. So hopefully Manny Diaz can, uh, uh, can be good, but Hey, look, man, you're losing Jaquan Brisker. You're losing Brandon Smith who declares early for the draft, which was really interesting because, quite frankly, Jared, I thought Brandon Smith has been an average linebacker in the at Penn State for three, an average linebacker. But he's projected to go, like, late second, early third round. That blows me away. He could end up getting drafted higher than some of these guys, like a Navarro Bowman or a Paul paz And, again, he's, he's been average in his career. So, Manny Diaz is going to come in. He's going to lose Arnold Ebikidi. They're going to have to hit the portal hard probably for the defensive line and the linebacker and actually all three levels. So, you know, we, we can say Manny Diaz can do this or that or whatever, but it's, it's the Jimmys and the Joes more than, than the X's and the O's and, and they're, they're going to be losing a lot of Jimmys and Joes.
0: Yeah. And that's going to be uh, interesting to see how they replace them because they lost a lot up front going into this year. And I thought they replaced them really, really well. Now, of course, you're not always going to find an Evicetti um, in the portal, but that worked. that marriage worked out really, really well for, for a year. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, he went out and got Diaz and I think that's a great hire. Can he perform and can he do what it takes at at Penn state? I think he will. I think he's going to have a hell of a lot more support at Penn state as defensive coordinator than he ever did at the university of Miami. Yeah. Not that that's saying much, just the fact that they talked to him here uh, at Penn state is probably an upgrade Um, over what they had at at Miami. But we're going to talk a lot more about Penn State football here when we come back uh, in the second part of this podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. to the We Are podcast and DK Fitzgerald Sports Podcasting Network. Corey, it's been a wild ride. What are your expectations here um, moving forward?
1: Yeah, the bowl, we're bowl season now. We got the word on Friday that Brandon Smith uh, is going to opt out and declare early for the draft. He's got two years of eligibility left, mm-hmm. but, but he is going to declare early for the draft, no bowl game as we're recording this and I thought maybe we would get another announcement on Saturday. We did not. Uh, so this is going up early Sunday morning at this stage. I do not expect Jahan Dotson to play in the bowl game. I do not expect Jaquan Brisker to play in the bowl game. And I do not expect Arnold Evikini to play in the bowl game. Maybe I'll be wrong on one or all of those. I don't know. It just seems like Jared, this trend in college football. Now, if you're any kind of draft prospect at all, you're not playing, and John Dotson's a receiver. Can he get through a bowl game without getting hurt? Absolutely, but he's a first-round pick. It's a risk. He wasn't available to the media on Friday for bowl media day. Very strange. John Dotson's available for everything. He's one of the best if spokesman on the team. He he and Sean Clifford, um, and the fact that he wasn't available for bowl media day that's very peculiar, folks. That just doesn't happen. Jaquan Brisker was not available. Again, great spokesman for the defense. We haven't talked to Arnold Abikidi a ton this year, but he wasn't available either. You know, I'm reading between the lines there and say it, thinking that rather than having those, forcing those guys to answer questions about their futures, um, Penn State, you know, let, let those guys off the hook. And I would expect over the next couple of days, we're going to see some announcements. And look, maybe they will play in the bowl game. I'm just saying that Jahan Dotson's a projected first-round pick. Jaquan Brisker's a, a, an early second-round pick. Ebikidi a second to third round pick. Those guys to me, perfect to be perfectly honest with Jared. I do not think that they should play in the bowl game. And, and ultimately I don't think that they will.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's tough, right? I mean, the, the, the best thing that brisker has going for them, and he is the one that does the hitting. He is the one that goes out and does that. So, I mean, that is a plus in itself. He's not the one that's going to be hit um, more often than not. And if he is, it's probably not a good situation for the Penn state defense. So it's tough because these guys have multi-millions of dollars at stake here, life-changing money that, you know what? Hey, who's to say that that is the right decision? Because a good performance could boost their stock. But when you're a Jahan Dotson and then you look at a guy like Kenny Pickett, who's probably going to be the first quarterback taken, it makes sense for them not to play. Now, and I think this is kind of where the college football playoff model impacts this level, is those games matter. The Outback Bowl, you know, as good as it is as a game, typically, it's not near as what it's worth to play in a college football playoff, um, semifinal, or even championship game. So, I mean, if this was something that, that meant a lot more, uh, I think that, that we'd have, be having a different conversation. Uh, but, again, you know, that's not the way the college football model is right now. So, yeah, and if you're not in one of those top-tier New Year's Six Bowls, yeah, it makes sense for you not to play and not to showcase your skills because really you're kind of doing yourself a disservice if you're not going to go out there and be able to play at 100%. And
1: uh, I have a column up at uh, DK Pittsburgh Sports about this. Um, uh, do bowl games really mean as much anymore? And I'm sad to say that they don't because I have loved bowl games forever. And few programs in this country have touted their success in bowl games as much as Penn State it was always a major component of what they you know bragged about during the Joe Paterno era Penn State's success in bowl games because those bowl games when you don't get to see you know lots of teams around the country those bowl games were your opportunities to go out and prove yourself that you were as good and especially Penn State because Penn State fought the anti-east coast bias for so long the reason Joe didn't win a national title until 82, despite having all the undefeated seasons in 68, 69, 72, is because there was, uh, there was a feeling that East Coast football was not as good and that they were overlooked more. So Penn State used its bowl record as a point of, hey, look, we are good. We, we are better. Look, look what we do in bowls. And so for years and years, decades even, the bowl games historically have meant a tremendous amount to Penn State because that was one thing that the, the, the program could point to playing as an ind- independent all those years of saying, hey, when we go out and we play equal, you know, equal kind of uh, power programs around the country, we've beaten them for it forever. But see, that's all, that's all gone. That's all out the wayside now. Transfer portal. Coaches coming and going. Early signing period. Guys looking to leave motivation for these games nfl draft there's so much you you add up all of this stuff now and even 10 years ago i think jared bowl games meant a hell of a lot right now it is it is taking such a big dive and i i think if we look 10 15 years ahead from now jared uh, these bowl games are never going to be meaningless as business entities because they can make a lot of money, and there's TV, and you know people are still going to want to watch them because there's you know not a whole heck of a lot else in December. But for the players, man, I just I don't see any end to this. There, as we speak right now, there's 67 players across all bowl games who have opted out. Um, I think in 10 years that number is going to be 150 at least before you get into these bowl games.
0: Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. As far as 10 to 15 years ago, that these bowl games matter. I, I would say even five to 10 years ago yeah. um, that these games mattered more than what they do. And back then, you know, in the 60s, 70s and 80s, this was your chance to play in front of national and in front of a national audience. TV has completely changed the game in this regard uh, because now, and, and the way that the media is right now, I mean, you can get access to a college football game any hour, any day, Anywhere you look, whether it's online, whether it's on your TV, there are just so many different avenues to see what's going on in college football, to see these games being played, you know, and good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, I think it's good for the growth of the sport, but, but the bowls don't necessarily matter as much as they used to, you know, you, you, have, I think that there's, a, there are definitely some tiers to these bowl games that, you know, that would depend on players what, whether they were playing or not, you know, the Outback Bowl, I think it's a middle tier. I think that's a game where, eh, you know what? We don't really need to play in this game to boost our stock. But then you look at a game, like say maybe the Peach Bowl in a good on a, on a given year, uh, when that's part of the final stock or final uh, the college football playoff talk. I think you, you play there um, if you've got something to prove. Rose Bowl, I think it, that's the granddaddy of them all. You think about the games that Chris Godwin had, Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, Sam Darnold uh, when they play Penn State. Uh, a couple of years ago, how they, how that boosted their stocks. Um, you know, and then obviously the college football semifinals in the playoffs. I mean, you, the Rose Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, um, those games, the Sugar Bowl, the Peach Bowl, I think those are the games that you really, you, you don't say no to. Um, but any other game below that, in that next little middle tier, like the capital, like any of the Capital One Bowls, but, you know, the Citrus Bowl and, you know, games like that, I, it's, it's just hard to say yes to when there's really not much at stake.
1: Well, if you are going into the draft and you feel pretty confident about what you've put on film already, you feel confident that you're going to put up really good numbers at your pro day and be a, a combine warrior, those kinds of things. Again, let me get back to Brandon Smith. I'm not going to pick on Brandon Smith here, but he came to Penn State as a five-star guy because he had all the great athletic ability and skills and all, and he's played a lot of football. He's he's been a big-time, a a key contributor for three years. But does any Penn State fan consider Brandon Smith a standout college linebacker? He was third-team All-Big Ten this year, and and that was from the uh, coaches. The media voted him honorable mention. He's projected to go at the end of the second round. And so – because Brandon Smith is – he's going to go to the combine and he's probably going to put up tremendous numbers, just like a lot of Penn State guys do. But, again, this isn't just about Penn State. This is about – basically, these are – these have become meaningless games. And I hate to say that. I really do because they're not meaningless for guys like Christian Veyu. They're not meaningless for guys like Parker Washington or maybe even a Noah Kane or a Kevon Lee because those guys – do have a lot at stake. They they want to get through these, finish on a strong note, finish healthy, and again for Noah Kane, come back and maybe have a good healthy game where after he's been banged up this year. But if if these draft, if there's anybody that's draft eligible, you know, wondering about these about these games, I just I just don't see that there there's going to be a whole lot of interest now. Could they pay the players? How about that, Jared? if they could find a way to pay the players for bowl games, that might change some of it or get even a whole hell of a lot more NIL money. But I think logistically that would be a problem because of title nine, because of amateurism, those kinds of things.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's definitely an option. I mean, if you play in a bowl game, who's to say that Fiesta, the the Tostitos can't pay for the Fiesta Bowl, or or if if they're even a sponsor of that now, or or whatever the the sponsor of the, the game sponsor of the Rose Bowl is. You know what? What happens when Citibank or who or Northwest Financial, you know, ends up giving them? Hey, here's here's a couple thousand dollars if you play in this game. The MVP gets so much money or whatever. Now, as far as Brandon Smith goes, I mean, he can play. He can play linebacker. Uh, obviously, he can be a hitter. He just was not. It was just kind of eh while he was at Penn State. So, but he's gonna test well. He's gonna uh, you know do some good things at the combine. Do some good things at their pro day. it will be interesting to see kind of where he falls. Um, but hey, if you're going to get second, third round money, you know that's a, that's essentially a guaranteed roster spot if things if you do the right things. So who's to say he can't pass up that type of money? And then I think it's funny you you mentioned um, that NAL money. Well, Sean Clifford mentioned that too, and and his de- his desire to return because he's he's gotten to do a lot of things as a result of that. And I think. You know, that's something that, that these these universities and these schools are going to have to, uh, and bowls as well, are going to have to really look into because that NIL money is is really a game changer. I mean, you see some of the options that these kids have or that are given, um, and it's just really – it's going to be really interesting to see how, how big of a factor it is Because, I mean, yeah. you go to these bowl games and you get these swag bags, you get a PS5 or PS4, or you get watches or – gift cards or whatever, well, you're going to have to up the ante now to get these guys to play in the game. Because think about it, if I have a chance to play in the Outback Bowl compared to, you know, going and training in the NFL draft, what what is going to make me play in that bowl? I mean, we can talk about loyalty and team all that we want, but everybody knows it's a business decision. There are millions of dollars at stake for these kids. So what are these bowl games, or are these universities going to do to up the ante and make these – games you know make them want to play
1: i'm glad you mentioned uh, sean clifford in the nil um he was he was honest and forthcoming about that uh we again we were on friday with these guys and um i actually was the one that asked sean about the nil money if that was a factor in him coming back and he said yes it, it sure was because i don't think sean clifford's gonna be a guy that's gonna make a million dollars like bryce young did or quinn ewers or whatever but you know, as a fourth-year starting quarterback, um, he should – is it is it feasible to think that Sean Clifford can make hundred grand next year? I, I think that's that's probably a pretty reasonable number for somebody that is out there and really looking for opportunities and things like that. Maybe, maybe you maybe can make a lot more than that. So, I, But I appreciate Sean actually saying that, yeah, that's a factor, because if he goes pro and doesn't make it into a camp, he's not getting paid at all next year. So I think that is, that is one thing. But, and one thing I did want to mention, Jared, because just to clarify this from earlier, because uh, uh, I'd mentioned about Brandon Smith and where he could get drafted. Brandon Smith right now is listed uh, in terms – this is from NFL Mock Draft Database. Uh, he is listed as the uh, Well, – I'm trying to, pull, trying to pull this up here as we speak. I think he's like the 30 – no, the, the 50-something prospect in the country – uh, by NFL mock draft database and 62nd he's 62nd so that'd be right at the end of the second round. Sean Lee was drafted 55th. All right. Great Penn State linebacker. Navarro Bowman was drafted 91st. Navarro Bowman is the best linebacker that Penn State has had in the NFL since Jack Ham. If anybody wants to argue it's LeVar Arrington, go look up the numbers. It's not. It wasn't close. Navarro Bowman was the best linebacker in the NFL for three years. I mean, if he hadn't gotten hurt, Navarro Bowman was was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Even better at the NFL level than LeVar Arrington. But he was picked 91st. Jared, they got Brandon Smith projected 62nd, for goodness sake. So, you know, I just kind of wanted to close that part up with just by pointing out that, Hey, sometimes you, no matter what you look like in college, if they think you've got the skill set, they're going to give you a shot in the pros.
0: Yeah. Right. I mean, he's got the athleticism, you know, he's a big hit kind of guy. I've, I've heard, I mean, being on the sidelines a couple of times and hearing some of the, the, the blows that he, that he deals out and, and he can hit, he can hit. What did it sound hard. like
1: when he was, what did it sound like when he was missing those tackles?
0: Oh, it just sounded like the wind blowing. Cause
1: he missed a lot of tackles, but he, he, you know how you know how Micah, Par, Micah Parsons has basically never missed a tackle I mean really i I don't Jared do you ever recall Micah missing a tackle in high in, in college
0: no, no I don't think he's missing very many at the end in the NFL either. No, I think
1: he's probably, and and Brandon Smith is kind of the opposite guy you know Brandon Smith is physically gifted but he just whiffs and, and I mean it's been it's been bizarre but again I'm, I'm not trying to pick on the kid I'm just trying to point out an example of there's a guy that's got 2 years of eligibility left and may not get drafted till early in the 3rd round and he's decided to skip the bowl game. And so, if a guy like that is going to skip a bowl game, why would anybody play in a bowl game if you're if you're going to be close to being drafted in the top 3 rounds?
0: Yeah, it's a it's an interesting topic for sure, but like the win when Brandon Smith misses and like many on the Steelers defense when they miss tackles as well. We're going to let the wind blow us right into the third and final segment of the We Are podcast of the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome back to the final segment of the We Are podcast and DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network, Corey. We are less than a week away from one of the biggest holidays in the world—that is Christmas. So, let's get in holiday spirit here. Number one, before we get to important stuff, favorite Christmas movie.
1: My favorite Christmas movie is Die Hard. No, it's not. Uh, but I do, I do consider. Die Hard a Christmas movie. Jared, you consider Die Hard a Christmas movie? I do. Yeah, hey, it's it's set on Christmas Christmas Eve at the Nakatomi Plaza. So, my favorite Christmas movie is a movie called The Family Man. Uh with Nicolas Cage and Taylor leone He is a rich Wall Street guy, but he's single and he thinks he's got everything in the world. And then he get a, gets a glimpse of what family life would be like married to Taylor Leone. And he's got two kids. And I'm a big believer, Jared, that uh, you kind of complete your life whenever you find your soulmate out there and, and you get to go down that path. So, uh, and it's set around Christmas. So I, I'm going to go, it's very cheesy, but for years and years and years, and I don't do it anymore. I used to watch the family man every Christmas Eve. Uh, I think that that's a fantastic Christmas movie.
0: No, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, We had a conversation on my other podcast with Alex Dunn, uh, Pirates Podcast to be named later. He didn't think that Elf was a Christmas movie.
1: What? What is he talking about?
0: He says at the beginning of the movie... I gotta hear this. ...in the end of the movie, those are Christmas. But in in between those pieces, it's not Christmas. I think he is losing his mind. The lockout's really getting to him. But hey you know what that's the worst damn
1: take on anything i think i've ever heard that's probably so offensive to you because i know you love elf but what in the world is alex talking about
0: yeah i i wish i knew <laughs> maybe we'll have him on in the new year to to, to, ta- to talk about his takes um but okay so if you're if you're james franklin and you're hanging out with santa claus and what are you asking for for Christmas?
1: A strong offensive line. I mean, we'll cut right to it. I think if this year's team had a strong offensive line, and I'm talking about good run blocking, good pass blocking, just what it, what it could have done. Uh, they went seven and five. Uh, I mean, if they would have been a bigger threat to – they almost beat Michigan anyway. They almost beat Ohio State anyway. If this team, if this were your traditional Penn State team that has a strong running game and what that could have done in the passing game, opening things up for Sean Clifford when you've got a sensational Jahan Dotson, is it feasible to think that this could have been a playoff team with a really strong offensive line? And so uh, I think that is – If they don't fix it, Jared, I can see seven and five next year. If they don't, if they don't get their offensive. So to me, that has got to be what James Franklin is wishing for.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have to, you have to get better up front. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. You have to have a running game. So if I'm James Franklin, I'm hanging out with Santa. My, my wish is a piggyback off yours. I want a running game again. Back when they were really good in, in, in the 2016 season, they had a two headed monster Saquon Barkley, Miles Sanders. Barkley, one of the greatest college athletes of all time. Miles Sanders, very good in his own right. Bring me back to the running game to open up the pass game. And that is why what I think that, that James Franklin should be asking for for this Christmas. But what, what else would you ask Sansa for if you were James Franklin? Obviously, he doesn't need any money, but he just got paid. So what else would you ask for?
1: Yeah, this this will be obvious as well. You want your young quarterback Drew Alar to come in and you want him to learn and develop. That's obvious. But you want him to accept whatever the role is next year. You want him to fully accept it because Kids nowadays, and I'm speaking in generalities, I don't know the young man, they want everything now. And so Sean Clifford is going to be the starting quarterback next year. It's really a great opportunity for Alar to come in again, learn and develop. He's got to learn and develop regardless. And if he, as long as he does that, the stage will be set for that young man starting in 2023 to be at least a 2 year starter and probably a 3 year starter for Penn State. And so if you think about the potential, the possibilities of you sit for a year, you learn everything you can from a pretty good mentor. I've been pretty critical of Sean Clifford. I think he's pretty average, but he is a good leader and I think he'll be a good mentor for Drew Larr. If you do if if James Franklin could could wish that the young man well, stay patient, and and not, I'm jumping ship after next year. You didn't let me play this year. Now the job open came open at Alabama, at Clemson. You see what I'm getting at? And so, Alabama's going to give me a million bucks to come play quarterback there. I'm, uh, you know, I'm from Ohio. C.J. Stroud's going pro. They're going to give me a million bucks to come play. You, you, you want Drew R to accept what he's got at Penn State because he is the future. But that future is not going to be until 2023.
0: Yeah, and I think that's fair. I mean, I think that's also something you talk to him about in the, recruiting, uh, in the recruiting stages. Obviously, you know, you want him to be a part of your university. You want him to be a part of that. But you also have to be real with him. Hey, listen, Sean's going to be a four-year starter. Most likely because I think they knew that Sean Clifford was coming back as they're recruiting him. Um, so you know you want him to to know his role coming in. Hey, this is what we need you to do. This is how you're going to see time on the field. Right now we have a four year starter, um, and, and it's very tough to upend and 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 outperform a four year starter. But you know you just be up open and honest up front. And I think you know with him knowing that coming in. Obviously, still at Penn State. He could have easily gone somewhere where he could be the guy from day one. But he's going to be a nittany lion. He's going to, you know, get his time in the the spotlight soon enough. But I think it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out and and to see what Penn State has moving forward. I'm very, very interested to to see how the the QB controversy uh, develops over the course of time because James Franklin's always been a loyal guy, you know. And he's done this multiple times. Um, you know, you, you, you look back to, uh, let's say, Tommy Stevens and Will Levis, both guys that were backup quarterbacks probably could have gotten a chance to start but didn't. Uh, they went on to, to greener pastures um, elsewhere as well, became starters. And then both, um, you know, Levis had a very good year for him. And, uh, and Tommy Stevens, I, I believe, is still in the NFL somewhere. Uh, if I'm not mistaken,
1: but here's the here's the problem, Jared. And I've covered professional baseball for like 25 years. You cover the Curve and the Pirates. The one phrase I've heard more than any other phrase in all of sports is "control what you can control." Um, it's especially true in baseball because it's an everyday thing. Control what you can control. Penn State can control whatever it can do with itself and with Drew Alar. But what they cannot control is the rest of the world. And going forward with the transfer portal, that is going to be out of team's control. It it just is. And so you think about – and I'm talking about this particular quarterback, but this could be for anybody at any school. You think about young people nowadays and just – You know, just wanting that opportunity to play, what can get them the best opportunity um, to get to the league, which is what they all want to do. Hey, look, let's just say Penn State's offense struggles again. Hey, Jared, let me ask you a question. What do you think are the chances that Penn State's
0: offense
1: is is a little bit better next year, but not necessarily great? What do you think those chances are?
0: I think they're about 50-50 right now.
1: Okay, that's realistic. All right. They're 81st in the country this year in total offense. Let's say they improve pretty dramatically in their 50th. There are going to be t- schools out there that are in the top five or 10 or 15 and saying, "Hey, Drew Alar, we're better than Penn State. We can get you the- This notion that this kid's just going to be here for three or four years and then go to the NFL and be a superstar is awesome, and, and it's wishful thinking, but the point I'm trying to make is Penn State can't control that. When you talk about control what you can control, Penn State is not going to be able to control whatever opportunity somebody else might have. And that's where, again, Clifford's going to be the starter. If the kid has to sit all next year, even if he knows he's going to take over in 20, what if, what if the offense really struggles? What if he loses faith in Mike Yersich? I mean, I'm, I know I'm playing the glasses is half, half empty kind of thing here, but this is what college sports need to be thinking about. College coaches need to be thinking about with the transfer portal because you can make plans all you want. And, and, and you're still talking about the whims of 18, 19, 20-year-old kids and other people tampering or, or whatever, the lack of, lack of a better word, D- Dabo Sweeney called it tampering. There are going to be opportunities for these kids.
0: Right. I mean, that's the kind of nature of the beast of the transfer portal. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, and there's not going to be a lot of tape on him. I would imagine we'll see him in the spring. But again, it, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out moving forward. But that's going to be it for us this year. We're going to come back here with the We Are Podcast in the new year. We wish you the happiest of holidays. And we will see you next year. For Corey Geiger, I'm Jared Prugar. Thank you, as always, for listening to the We Are Podcast and the EK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network.